the Advanced Sports Analytics Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 6th. We're doing a doubleheader live show. We're going to do a little PGA and a little MLB uh, focused on the Super Draft slate. I'm here with Stuart Gibson at ASA. Stuart, how's it going today? Going all right. Um, got a busy week ahead with Masters starting on Thursday. First full week of MLB. Uh, NBA you know, putting along as usual. Actually, it's been pretty, uh, we're kind of descending into that stretch of the NBA season where uh, some teams have stopped trying. Players are sitting for no apparent reason with, you know, little indicator uh, that they're doing so until the hour before lock. So um, yeah, trying trying to stay uh, stay above water on kind of all these different things. NBA is abusive, I have to say, as a fantasy sport. It is, uh, it is yeah. not kind. It's truth. But I'm actually real fired up about MLB this year. I don't know about you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we had kind of a weird year last year. Saw uh, New York Mets and Washington already get uh, postponed a bit. So certainly not going to be a totally normal year, it would appear, but uh, hopefully a little more. Uh, stable than last year and um yeah i think it's gonna be fun and and, and great to have golf back in, in full uh we, we got a little bit of it last year um but gonna be awesome to have kind of the full major slate uh starting off really with the masters yeah but guys at mlb um they're getting covid shots and stuff so you would think that all this would be over soon we'll have to see yeah i'm, I'm not super getting shots right now and i don't know I believe that uh, we'll have a largely vaccinated league fairly quickly. Yeah, that, that would that would be great, and um, yeah, hopefully some of these early uh, hiccups will uh, be short lived. So let's dive into a little Masters. It's uh, six months from our last Masters. I uh, get really fired up about these weekends. Super Draft is having one of their bigger contests. They've got 10k for first. Um, we need to dive in because our optimizer, which has amazing results across all the sports and at Superdraft, is suggesting a lineup which is different than the rest of DFS Toutdom. So we need to dive into why that might be true. Um, we are largely eschewing the high multiplier guys in favor of the chalky guys that are likely the most likely in the field to get wins and top tens and stuff like that. Um, we can dive into a bit the intuition as to as to why our optimizer might be going that way. Um, so, super draft scoring. Why don't Why don't you Why don't you go through what is somewhat different about super draft scoring as opposed to say scoring on DraftKings or FanDuel? Aside from the multiplier, I believe most of our of uh, viewers know that Superdraft uh, operates on a on a multiplier instead of a salary cap, so the lesser players are given a higher multiple on their raw fantasy score. Um, but in terms of raw fantasy score calculation, what are some important ways where Superdraft differs from DraftKings and FanDuel? Yeah, so towards the end we can, you know, I don't the, talking about what the multiplier is is redundant at this point, but I, I do think it's worth noting some of the implications of that that we can touch on at the end. I think one of the big scoring differences in Superdraft scoring is 
the weight that is given to uh, finish position. In DraftKings and FanDuel, you see a large proportion of score allocated towards the placing of players. So uh, as is on those formats, there's a very high importance on rostering the player that for tournament purposes that wins the tournament. Uh, you can't really win a set, you know, DraftKings or FanDuel tournament without having the outright winner. Um, I think it's also worth noting there's a very, uh, on DraftKings and FanDuel, a big divide between first and second place. I think on DraftKings, uh, first place is 30 fantasy points on FanDuel. I'm sorry, uh, second place on DraftKings is 20 fantasy points. So, you know, a uh, one-third reduction from just that single place, and there's kind of a uh, decreasing margin between positions as you move further and further down. On Superdraft, first place is worth 15 points, second place uh, 13 points, third place 11. So as is just the scoring scheme in general, I think there's less importance on rostering players that have high win equity and more importance on um, you know getting players that are, that are going to be productive scorers and productive scorers at their multiplier. Um, if you can get the uh, some of the the dart throws, higher multiplier golfers who do find themselves inside the top five or ten, you you really are at a position to to benefit greatly if they do so in a fashion that is productive from a you know stroke and scoring standpoint. Um, you know, with with DraftKings or FanDuel, you you like I said, you do need that outright winner. Um, in Superdraft, I think it kind of depends on how tournaments shake out, but there are routes to winning GPP kind of large field tournaments without the first place finisher. If the first place finisher is Bryson at 1x and there are three guys within the top 10 who have you know 1.3x multiplier or higher, there's going to be far more value to nailing all three of those guys who are kind of dark horses who don't win outright but finish in the top five or ten and you know finish five plus strokes under uh, par there's going to be significantly more value to having those guys than having you know the lowest multiplier player who manages to win outright um again but you know that's not to say that it's bad to have you know the outright winner um you know we don't want to totally be chasing all the highest multiplier guys and figure uh, you know, if we roster six guys that are 1.3x or more, and we get three of them in the top 10 and two of them miss the cut, uh, you're, you're still going to be punished. You know, the goal is to get guys uh, through through to the weekend, um, you know, hopefully in kind of the top 10, or if they have a super high multiplier, I think you can stomach like a uh, top 20, but not top 10 performance uh, if they're able to be productive, uh, you know, getting, getting birdies, uh, et cetera. Uh, I think also, it, you know, it's it's slightly more uh, nuanced, but um, the scoring uh, for, for holes, I guess, is directly proportionate to the outcome. So um, a birdie, a birdie is worth, you know, two points, par is worth one, bogey worth negative one. Um, you know, the, the uh, fantasy scoring is kind of directly proportional to um, – more or less par, where par is kind of one point even, and then 
shooting a single hole under par is worth plus one point off of um, off of that that, and then you know the bogey is worth negative one point. So um, you know that's I, a massive relative to DraftKings, where guys like uh, Molinari who, who just go par 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 par. Uh, they they're extremely disadvantaged by DraftKings scoring, which uh, rewards volatility. And right. yeah, this this setup where uh, par par is it's not directly proportional in the sense that consistency is extremely well rewarded. Par par is better than birdie bogey because par par gives you two points and birdie bogey gives you two minus one or one. Um, so that's like in DraftKings, par in DraftKings bogey birdie is way better than par par. And in, in uh, super draft par par is way better than birdie birdie bogey. Right, yeah. The the pars and bogeys net each other out. So DraftKings, it's plus half, minus one, or minus half for um, par bogey, um, respectively. So those two net each other out in both formats. However, like you mentioned, birdie is worth uh, you know six times the value of a par and worth six times the I guess cost of a bogey. In super draft, it's uh, you know two x. So I mean, just a, a massive differential. Uh, where, like you said, there is increased value in guys who are able to, you know, just put up a bunch of pars and DraftKings. There is, I think, added value to some of these guys who can, you know, string together birdies, but are also going to lose shots for you. Um, you know, the, the multiplier from an eagle versus a birdie is just a flat 2x, whereas on DraftKings, it is uh, slightly more than 2x. So eight points for an eagle on DraftKings compared to three for birdie. Uh, so what is that? Two and two thirds super draft, uh, four, four and two for Eagle birdie respectively. Um, so yeah, all, all things to keep in mind. I think super draft format rewards consistency. It is less rewarding of, you know, excellence, I guess, in the way that like DraftKings is. Um, and of course in all formats, getting guys through the weekend is, is tantamount. Um, I think even more so in super draft where, a premium is placed on scoring. Uh, you're you're okay with, you know, having deeper multiplier guys who you can get through to the weekend, even if they don't finish in the top ten. Uh, if they're making it through to the weekend, they, they can be super valuable. Um, so yeah, I think something to keep in mind as people are filling out their rosters. There are uh, streak bonuses on uh, super draft, so three uh, three birdies in a row. Um, I, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me on this. I believe that on DraftKings, it's a streak bonus of three plus birdies in a row, and and then on SuperDraft, it's simply three plus birdies in the round. Am I wrong about that? It it's quite confusing the the way I have observed the scoring weekend to weekend. I believe it's three stroke. The the um, you believe it's three straight. Yeah, three straight. It the 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 verbiage is pretty confusing on the um, on the site. They say three plus birdies. In my observations over the weekend, I believe it is a streak bonus, not uh, three plus birdies the way they have. I think DraftKings does not have a you know 
five, FanDuel, I believe, has the five or more birdies in a round bonus. Bonus DraftKings has nothing like that. I, I think I think the streak and bonus rewards are more in line with DraftKings. Uh, they reward bogey free rounds. They re- reward a three birdie streak. They don't have any sort of uh, hole in one bonus or any sort of all four rounds under seventy strokes. That is has been my observation week to week. Uh, I, I believe. All right, so we need to jump into it. I I have some macro observations that I want to make about the Masters, and then I want to jump into really the most important conceptual argument, which is should we be biased towards low multiplier guys or should we be biased towards high multiplier guys? We need to dig into that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, people are new to Super Draft, and to be honest, we're all learning as we go along, and uh these are things that need to be debated we'll, we'll cover optimal strategy for uh tournaments and optimal strategy for cash games um so to, to go over some macro considerations we had uh dustin johnson sort of break scoring records in november the uh i can't speak to the details of why the course plays so well end of season versus beginning of season um but consensus is that it's much easier in november they basically tear the course up in the in the winter and rebuild it and i believe that the ground is quite soft for whatever reason in november great scoring conditions and then um in april when it's traditionally played it's firm ground fast greens fast everything and um the winning scores tend to be around 10 to 14 under in that range. Um, And uh, this week is thought to be sort of an average week. Um, Actually, the conditions are going to be, they think quite, quite fast. And they, they think that despite golfers getting slightly better on average, it's still going to be in that 10 to 14 range for the winning score. Dustin having just, one in November is the favorite. He is a nine and a half to one favorite to win, but you've got a lot of guys that are right in the mix. Um, I'm counting in terms of big free odds an incredible uh, 15 players that are 50 to one or shorter to win. Um, that's quite impressive. That's quite a deep field. Um, should be a really, really fun fantasy event. If you're just reeling off the top five, um, we've got Dustin, then Bryson, then JT, then Rom, then Spieth. Um, Spieth is a 14 to one dog. And then there's a little bit of a jump to Rory. Who's, who's 20 to one. Um, so, um, one thing that's unique and interesting about the Masters, due to the tight qualifying criteria, you have a lot of players make the cut. And um, related to that, it's going to be quite costly if your golfers do not make the cut. A guy like Rom, who is a consistent player, who in this tournament it has the fourth best odds to win, is roughly 97% to make the cut, as outrageous as that is. And JT is 
50% or so to make the cut. Um, you can consult Betfair odds on these on these things. Um, you can also consult Betfair player to win. It's um, The top 10 guys are extremely likely to make the cut. This is suggestive of why maybe our model likes the low multiplier guys. Um, so why are they so likely to make the cut? The field is small. And then because of the sort of bizarre qualification criteria, you have people in the field like Sandy Lyle, Ian Woosman, Angel Cabrera, Jose Marie Othabel, Mike Weir. Um, you have people that are 20% uh, to make the cut. And um, obviously there's no world in which Sandy Lyle uh, – beats John Rahm in a week or, or Larry Mize, um, Bernard Longer. So, so, um, this is where we are. You need to place emphasis on having your guys make the cut. Um, in cash games, you really want to strive for that kind of six for six. And, and then in tournaments, um, you can start to take some chances on some, some, some guys, but it's going to be costly even in tournaments to have a miss uh, cut. Um, okay, so let's jump into conceptually low multiplier versus high multiplier. Based on super draft pricing, there are some people that that look so compelling, I wonder if our model is making some mistakes. Um, so you have you have players like Dylan Fratelli, um, 1.55 multiplier. Um, quite strong recent performance. You think most of the time, these guys, even if they're having kind of a bad round, they're just plowing around, making a lot of pars. Pars are getting nicely rewarded on Super Draft. Um, you get a 1.55 multiplier on your par. It's pretty good. So just conceptually, um, why why are we dogging someone like Fratelli in in our model? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to come from uh, just risk. And and I, I mean, I don't think we're dogging Fratelli. He, uh, you know, has one of the probably, I mean, the most him and Palmer are kind of standing head and shoulders above the rest of the, uh, and maybe Zach Johnson kind of in the mix too, as far as these guys who are the best, uh, one, three multiplier players and up. Um, I just think projection systems that are trying to project players means are naturally going to, uh, gravitate towards lower multiplier players because there is, uh, far less miscut uh, risk. These players um, that have uh, you know some of the lower guys like Rom, Cantlay, uh, JT, Dustin Johnson, their underlying distribution I think is going to be uh, pretty unimodal. I mean, obviously there is a non-zero chance that these guys miss the cut, but uh, for the most part we're expecting with very high probability them to make the cut and their outcome is really just going to be tied to, uh, you know, how, how effectively they can play over four rounds. 
guys like Fratelli, who uh, you know you mentioned there is kind of a weak field towards the back end, but there's an extremely strong field at the top. And you know these guys like Fratelli, Palmer, Zach Johnson. I mean, they're going to have to show up to make the cut. And uh, I think just given the elevated miscut risk for them, there's naturally going to be lower uh, mean projections for these type of players. But I do think uh, for tournament purposes, it would be foolish to say, all right, well, I'm going to take, you know, the guys who have the least amount of miscut risk. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play the one X guys because I do want some multiplier, but I'm just going to roster, you know, Cantlay and Rom and, you know, Spieth is going to be super popular. And is that a good, you know, healthy 1.2 multiplier? I'm, I'm just going to play Spieth at 1.2 and then a bunch of guys who are lower than 1.2 X. Uh, that approach I think is fine for cash and our cash optimal as it sits right now has, uh, it looks like to me, six guys that are 1.2 X or lower, uh, Spieth and Casey at 1.2 X, uh, Rory at 1.15, Cantlay and Rom at 1.05 and then JT at one. Like, I think that's a fine approach for cash game purposes because you do have, I think, high probability of getting six of six through. For that lineup that I just outlined to win a tournament, you would need, you know, many of the low or higher multiplier players to miss the cut. You would need the few people that do roster those players. Not few, because it's not that these low multiplier or high multiplier guys rather are unpopular, but you would need people who do roster those to, to kind of miss on some other picks. And you would need like all six of these guys <clears throat> to finish within the top, I don't know, 10. And you would need the remaining four players in the top 10 to all be kind of low multiplier players. And, you know, I, I, I think Augusta is a difficult course that is going to reward good golfers. But, you know, golf is a, you know, medium to high variance uh, DFS sport. And I think there are naturally going to be guys in the 1.2 plus, uh, you know, multiplier tier that do find, you know, at least one or two of those guys that do find their way into the top 10 potentially even one that finds their way into the top five and missing out on you know 1.3x guy in the top five will prevent you from winning a gpp probably more so than missing out on 1x justin thomas who wins the tournament um so i do think for cash purposes while it is okay to uh, you know optimize towards make cut probability uh, with you know consideration for the multiplier effect for tournament purposes you know i do think it's going to be important to try to find lower or higher lower priced but i guess higher multiplier players who do have the ability to put a put up a top 10 finish or a, a top 15 finish top 20. um so i don't know i, I think we're pegging for telly as one of those guys who clearly has you know uh more likelihood than most guys at his price point to make it inside kind of that, that, um, top 10, top 15 golfers, uh, you know, and post a pretty productive scoring weekend. Um, <clears throat> but mean projections will typically favor some of these lower multiplier guys who just inherently have low, uh, miscut risk. I, I like it. And one thing that players might do, uh, fantasy players might do, um, when you look at our optimizer, you can sort of see some details regarding our projection, and you can also see our estimates of their finish probabilities. Um, 
you can take a look at that and decide if you, for whatever reason, disagree with our projections. You can make some some bumps here or there in your lineups. Um, so, Stuart, in terms of in terms of cash, we sort of stand by our our optimals, and we we like to basically lean towards the best golfers in the world at high at low multiples. Um, in terms of tournaments, we prefer an approach that has some chance taking on high multiplier players. We've mentioned some of our favorite high multiplier players, people like Fratelli and Ryan Palmer. Um, so if someone is mass multi-entering and they're looking to make multiple tournament lineups and they want all of these lineups to have massive upside, what are what are some rules or some things they might do in the optimizer to to generate some upside? Yeah, so I, I you know, you can open the um, let's see if I could even do a screen share here. Um maybe to share our optimizer so that people can get a sense of kind of how it works. Um, so we have our, our optimizer set to super draft uh, with projections. You also have some historic strokes gain metrics for players. We're looking over the last, last six months, but you can look by three months for recent form or last year or kind of long form. Um, you know, and, and the program is going to default to sort, uh, or, you know, I typically am looking at it by sorting by value, which is players projected fantasy points times their multiplier. Uh, you know, if we're just plugging that in for optimization purposes, we'll get, this was the lineup I touched on, um, you know, the, the highest projected kind of cumulative scoring for turn. And, and I think that's a perfectly fine and very simple, straightforward approach to cash play. Like I, I, I think, you know, I'm not concerned about uh, you know, grouping, or I'm just trying to optimize towards most fantasy points scored. But for tournament purposes, as I mentioned, you know, I don't want to build lineups. I mean, this isn't super top heavy, like Spieth and Casey are at 1.2x, which isn't bad. Rory's at 1.15. Um, but, you know, Cantley, Thomas, Rom, these are, you know, guys who are at or near the multiplication floor. And for upside purposes, I don't really want to build lineups that are so condensed towards these super low multiplier guys. Uh, so one thing I do, I do the same thing for basketball as well. Uh, when I don't want to, you know, I don't want to build tournament lineups that have too much low multiplier, therefore low upside players. So I'll just like sort on this salary column and setting groups and rules. Um, I like turning up bounce a little bit to just get some variance in there. Um, and I'll set rules like I do not want to play of Thomas DeChambeau Johnson can't lay. So all these guys that are 1.05 X or more, to be honest, I, I don't really think I want to play more than two of those guys in any one lineup. So I can set in my groups, uh, Justin Thomas, Johnson, Rom, uh, Xander, Bryson. And what we said, we had can't lay, right? I don't want any more than two of those guys in any single lineup. And I can generate 20 lineups that are diversified via the bounce feature and also preventing me from having 
too many super low X, uh, low multiplier guys. So looking yeah, at his top yeah, lineup, you can see that those have those have uh, some of our preferred plays jumping in, and then some of our secondary high multiplier plays like a Robert Streb or something just jumping in straight away. Yep. But even like looking at this top lineup here, it is taking it is removing these 1.05 or lower guys and just filling it with like Hovland is 1.15. Um, I mean, that's really the difference. It looks like it's subbed out Thomas for Hovland. Even now, like I've got three guys or two guys at 1.05 or lower, uh, two guys at 1.15 or lower, and then two guys at 1.2. To me, that still feels pretty tight. So I might create a secondary rule that says prevent no more or don't allow lineups that have any more than um, so like looking at this tier of players that are 1.2 or X, I'm not going to go in and manually type all these guys in because it's, you know, it's, I, I think it wouldn't be the greatest use of time. But what I will do is put in these one, maybe I'll allow more 1.2 guys, but like at 1.15 and lower, including these 1.1 X and 1.05 X guys, I'll say, give me fewer, less than or equal to three guys in the 1.15 X or lower tier. That way I am, um, or you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, it's hard to say. I mean, this is where kind of some subjectivity comes into there. So with that build, I could take, you know, two guys of this top tier of golfers and then one player in 1.15 or 1.1 X, or you do open yourself up to the optionality of having three guys at 1.15 and zero guys you know, that are 1.05 or less. Like I don't necessarily want the rule of, well, give me exactly two players from one to 1.1 and give me exactly two players from 1.15 to two. And then exactly two players that are like 1.25 or more to me, that feels like kind of restrictive. Um, so I'm fine to kind of, uh, be additive, I guess, if that makes sense as far as my groups. Um, and that, that's kind of one way I, I, I choose to build lineups for tournament purposes. You could also do some rule, you know, if you're building, um, I don't know, like 10 lineups or so, um, you know, you could maybe hunt down some of your favorite value plays in the 1.3 or more category. So like Fratelli, Streb, uh, sure, we'll take Matt Wallace. We'll take Zach Johnson. Give me one of Carlos Ortiz. Give me one of Westwood. Um, uh, I'll, I'll exclude Westwood, but you know, if I'm building like five lineups and want all of my lineups to have one of these guys for Telly, Streb, Wallace, Johnson, or Ortiz, uh, Wallace, Streb, Ortiz, uh, or Zach Johnson, I think was the last one. Say, give me at least one of these guys um, for 10 lineups. And I want all my lineups to have no more than two of these top tier golfers and it, give me at least one player that I'm taking a shot on, you know, uh, and we're going to have lineups that have, uh, you know, these guys like Fratelli, Streb, uh, et cetera. And then, of course, you can go to the exposure tab to just kind of keep tabs on, uh, you know, how you are allocating your player pool. So a lot of speed, a lot of can't lay, um, but then, you know, decent chunks of guys like Fratelli and 30% of lineups, Streb, uh, Palmer, we didn't even actually put in that list, but I think would have been a good guy to add to that list. Uh, Ortiz, you know, stuff like that, um, I think is a good way to build diversified lineups that have some upside. 
Um, and you can also put in rules like this for ownership. You know, if you, uh, you know, I figure speak will be very popular. I figure ROM will be very popular. Uh, you know, if I can only stomach uh, ownership of one of these kind of top tier guys, say never, never build a lineup that has both Spieth and ROM in it. I, I can only have one of those high ownership guys. You know, these are how you can kind of plug in some rules uh, into the uh, into the optimizer to get lineups that have the distribution and kind of upside profile that is necessary for tournaments. Um, for cash game purposes, I, I typically just go with the optimal. Um, I try to do maybe some uh, kind of custom finagling of projections to incorporate some other uh, data sources, but for the most part, just optimizing towards fantasy points, you know, not too concerned about taking shots on upside guys or avoiding too many guys with, uh, you know, a, a low ceiling due to their multiplier. Well, um, I would like to add that my uh, Palmer might be my favorite among the punt plays. He has a great multiplier and he has um, the highest player to win among that group. And he um, is a very consistent golfer, which is a good thing in this scoring system. And uh, conceptually, the way you're building, it fits the way that I like to build, which is, let's say you were hand building. A reasonable way to do it is to think about, okay, I want to build this lineup conditional on Rory winning the tournament. And then I want to build this lineup conditional on JT winning the tournament. Um, and so when you start thinking in that way, you don't have, say, the top four player to win guys in the same lineup because obviously if JT wins then DJ can't and so and, and you start kind of having it the right way so the way you're doing it in the optimizer is essentially saying when you're putting two of the top guys in there that one of these guys is going to win and I hope the other one comes in the top five and and then the rest of the guys have have good weeks and that that will have your lineup coming out on top um all right, so I think that's a that's a solid discussion on on the Masters. Um, we also intend to tackle MLB tonight, so why don't we get on that? Yeah, sure. Give me one second to kind of update my tabs so that I'm working with. I, I am a heavy heavy tab user, um, and uh, yeah, let me get set, situated. But yeah, I, I do love Palmer. I think uh, lastly, just the course profile, I think, is going to benefit guys who are strong off the tee and strong uh, putters. Palmer is kind of the cheap option that I think has that that optimal course fit. So, um, yeah, I do like Palmer a, a good bit um, at that price point. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. MLB tonight, um, got to see kind of where we are. I updated lineups right before the show, but I have to imagine some lineups have come across. Um Interesting slate where a lot of the uh, top pitchers went last night. We saw DeGrom last night, but there ha there are some trickling over to tonight. Uh, Darvish, Kershaw, Giolito, Glasnow. Uh, these are opening day starters making their second appearance. So there is plenty of firepower up top uh, from a pitching standpoint. And, um, you know, all of them kind of have healthy multipliers on them. Uh, I think opening day, we saw far more pitchers in the low multiplication, uh, you know, part of the, the scale, you know, guys like Cole Bieber with 
multipliers quite nearly at one uh, X, but our models are still showing some favoritism towards some deeper plays. Um, Marquez right now is topping our projections, which I think is an interesting one. Obviously, uh, you know, playing at cores, uh, the weather there today is going to be a little interesting. There's some rain in the forecast. Um, uh, not not really rain in the forecast, but it's a windy day, kind of uh, swirling winds. The the uh, game total is only at ten runs, which I think is quite low for a Coors game. So, you know, Vegas suggests some optimism around, um, you know, uh, a guy like Marquez, even though he is playing at kind of the uh, concerning Coors Field. So I think at 1.6x, you know, he is a guy worth considering. Um, he, I don't know, I feel like Coors always introduces kind of elevated variance, but Marquez is a kind of typically low variance pitcher. Um, so I'm not sure kind of what to expect. I, I think I, I see Marquez as kind of a low variance play even at Coors. Um I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I mean, I, I typically don't like endorsing pitchers at Coors Field, but given uh, kind of expected low run total, um, do you think a guy like Marquez at, you know, Coors is, is potentially in play? So I think this is a situation we're going to have to pay close attention to analytically. Um, I will... I will give a couple data points. So I've noticed that the top DFS players have been playing course pitchers in spots they never would have before. And you put that data point together with, for instance, the low run total tonight. And it's suggestive of the fact that perhaps the ball changes that Major League Baseball talked about before this season has somehow um, affected Coors Field more than any other place. I mean, it makes sense. Like somehow the uh, the ball changes coupled with the atmospheric conditions in, in Coors um, could have changed Coors more than other places. I mean, for the league as a whole, we, we are going to have to wait and see um, how these ball changes affect scoring and home runs and, and strikeouts and all the things we care about um, in terms of um, in terms of uh, Colorado specific um, you want to be the person making adjustments more quickly and so if you start noticing more of these things happening like the very top DFS guys playing these pitchers more and these run totals staying lower than they would have been in years past, you you might go ahead and make that adjustment that there's something that's happened with the the balls that have uh, changed the realities of Coors Field. Um, so this right now this is speculative, like we don't we don't know, um, but it's something to keep an eye on. And um, strikes me as the type of uh, the the type of spot where I would just want to go ahead and 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 play Marquez. He's a good he's a good play if nothing has changed, and he's a great play if something has changed. Yep. Well, our, our projections are certainly in favor of Marquez. Um, I think our our preferred kind of two X high multiplier guys are 
very interesting in that they are two completely different pitchers. Um, really only united by the fact that they have, you know, the highest multiplier available uh, associated with their name. We have Martin Perez for Boston going up against Tampa, a exceptionally low, um, not exceptionally low, but a, a relatively low uh, game total given Perez's pitching, who I think is a, uh, you know, somewhat gettable pitcher. He is a guy who doesn't really have a high kind of upside fantasy profile. He doesn't miss a whole lot of bats. Um, only has a whiff rate over the last two years of, uh, you know, under 20%, which I think is quite low, really allowing uh, in-play contact rates up over 40%, exceptionally high. But he doesn't give up great contact. Uh, you know, only a, a 6% barrel rate allowed over the last two years. Um, so to me, I don't know, it's not, not really an ideal fantasy profile for a tournament for tournament purposes. You would just need him to go very deep into the game. I do think Tampa Bay is an offense that will yield more strikeouts than most offenses. Um, but still Perez is not a guy who is known for racking up strikeouts. He is more a guy who is going to control uh, contact and prevent run scoring, which, um, you know, I don't know, isn't isn't kind of the ideal ideal build for a high upside fantasy pitcher. We have him projected slightly ahead of Freddie Peralta, who is the complete opposite. I mean, you know, he is, I think, one of the more implosive pitchers on the slate tonight. He can not find the strike zone. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the, really the big thing for him is he can miss the strike zone. He can get tuned up when people are putting the bat on the ball for him um, or against him. But he has, I mean, one of the best kind of miss bat stuff of any pitchers on the slate. I mean, he's allowing in-play contact uh, over the past couple of years of less than 30% compared to, like I said, 40% for Perez. So he is a guy that can get tuned up there is potential for him to only throw, you know, two or three innings and yield six runs. But if he can, you know, stay within himself, command the strike zone. Uh, I mean, the guy can bring it. He's got great stuff and could rack up. I mean, we saw some games for him last year where like he would go six strong and, you know, strike out like 10 guys. I mean, he does have phenomenal upside as is. And then you factor in the two X multiplier on him. Um, I think there is, Few, there are a few pitchers on tonight's slate that are more boom or bust than Peralta. Um, I would probably avoid him in cash, but for tournament purposes, I think he makes for a fine uh, tournament play just given his upside. I like it. I like it. Um, what about some of the chalkier pitchers who's standing out for you? I, I think Giolito would be the guy to target. Um, he's got a little better multiplier than Darvish and Kershaw, and I think he's just uh, – you know, got a little better of a fantasy profile than certainly Kershaw at this point is in his career. I think Kershaw is kind of transitioning more towards a uh, controlling contact type pitcher. Still has some, you know, some kind of st good strikeout stuff, but for the most part, Darvish and Giolito are standing out as guys who can really pile on strikeouts while also controlling, um, you know, runs and, and, you know, making sure they get lots of innings. Superdraft doesn't reward quality starts, so you know getting to that 
threshold of six innings pitch isn't super valuable, but nonetheless, you know, you want your pitchers staying in games to give themselves a chance at a win, to accumulate outs, to accumulate strikeouts, uh, super draft rewards, ground ball, uh, double plays. So um, I don't know. I, I still think you want pitchers who don't allow base runners, but um, it is one saving grace. But yeah, I mean, Giolito, I think, has kind of the best combination of swing and miss stuff and also the ability to do damage control. And he's at kind of the higher multiplier of that trio of guys, Kershaw, Darvish, and uh, himself. So I think that would be the guy I'd key on. Uh, Glass now obviously has incredible stuff. Uh, you just got to be concerned about, um, you know, how how deep into the game he's going to be able to go, you know, going up against a pr- pretty productive t- uh, Boston offense in Fenway. Um, weather seems to be kind of average as far as, um, you know, yielding any advantage to hitter or pitcher. Um but yeah, I think I think you got to be concerned about Glasnow, who just the 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 Rays have not shown a uh, confidence in kind of sending him out much more than like five or even six innings. Factor that in with kind of a good offense that he's going up against. Uh, I think my preference would be for Giolito. I like it. I'm I'm on the same page there. Now on the bat side, um, we favor with. The multiplier pricing, uh, a stack orientation, as on other sites, uh, winning a GPP is um, somewhat akin to winning a parlay ticket in sports betting. And if you are given the option of having correlated bets among your your parlay, uh, that is always a good thing to do. So we advocate stacking where possible. Um, a typical winning MLB lineup will have a full stack and then um, either a mini stack or um, a couple of high upside one-off plays that happen to get there or at least uh, have some some of the players get there. Um, so why don't you go over your favorite stacks on Superdraft? Yeah, so I really like Toronto. I think they're in a good spot. Um you know, going up against Texas, not a uh, daunting pitching matchup. And uh, Taylor Hearn is expected to be the primary pitcher. Looks like the expectation is that um, Texas will kind of go with this opener approach. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just one of these teams that I think has, you know, healthy multipliers on their players. I mean, Bo Bichette is a guy we are very high on, uh, expected to bat third. That has been confirmed that he's batting third tonight. So I think Bichette would be a guy to target as kind of the center of that stack. Um, who else do we like on that Toronto uh, side? We like Biggio, who's batting second at 1.4x. Kind of surprising that they give Bichette, you know, 1.6, Biggio down at 1.4. Uh, I do know Biggio has been off to a pretty hot start. Um you know, Alejandro Kirk at 2x is kind of a deeper uh, play who's batting ninth. He doesn't figure to get quite as many at-bats, but I think is uh, you know, has the ability to be a productive hitter. Could be in consideration for kind of a wraparound type stack. You know, I do expect Toronto to be quite popular. Uh, going a four-player stack like Kirk 9 and then Simeon, Biggio, Bichette, uh, one through three, makes a ton of sense. Um you know, you could also just keep it super conventional and just go one through four. We've got a pretty strong projection on Teoscar. 
who's batting fourth. Uh, he's at 1.3x, so he's got the lowest. I'm sorry, Simeon has the lowest multiplier of the group at 1.25. Uh, Teoscar at 1.3. So you can go a number of different ways. And then Grichuk uh, at 1.5x, batting eighth is also a candidate for a wraparound type stack where you go eight one two three, uh, you know, or eight one two four or something like that. Um, you know, Guriel I think makes. There's just a lot of different ways you can go with this. Uh, Toronto stack and um, yeah, I mean, I think I think they're very a very intriguing stack. Uh, wouldn't want to play them against Marquez, but I think going with some Arizona guys uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, like Josh Rojas batting leadoff for Arizona and at the full two x multiplier, he has not been great so far this season, but is a uh, you know reasonably valued prospect. He was the key piece of the. Uh, Zach Grinky trade uh, a couple years ago between Houston and Arizona. Um, so like Rojas, a good bit leading off. And, and just for, for to step back, you know, away from stacks for cash game purposes, you know, we can't, you know, overemphasize the importance of batting order. Um, for cash game purposes, there, there's really not a whole lot of value to rostering some of these hitters that are batting towards the bottom of their batting lineup. Um, you know, an at bat is a always plus EV uh, opportunity for for every player, and uh, obviously the guys batting towards the top of the order are, uh, you know, likely to generate more fantasy points per at bat or per plate appearance. Just the, that's why they're you know listed towards the top of the order. But um, you know, there's just a de- descending frequency at which uh, you know players are expected to to get at bats as you move down the batting order. Um, so a guy batting leadoff versus a guy batting ninth. Uh, I think there's just a big margin between how many plate appearances you can expect. It's not, I mean, it, it's, it's not big in that it's multiple plate appearances, but you know, an extra half plate appearance that you can project for a hitter is not inconsequential when all of these plate appearances are, are plus EV. You know, there's, there's no way for a hitter to lose fantasy points from a plate appearance. So can't uh, underestimate that enough. Uh, for for people that are kind of getting started on super draft, our our projections are going to skew heavily towards um, high multiplier players that are at the top of their batting order. Uh, so guys like Rojas, guys like Garrett Hampson, who's batting second for Colorado tonight. Uh, you know, a guy like Bo Bichette, who is at one point six x, an exceptional hitter, and is batting third uh, for his Toronto offense. Uh, you know, Tapia, Isaiah uh, Kiner, Falefa batting. These guys are both batting leadoff for their team. So. Um, you know, do, do you think that's something to note for cash game purposes? Um, but yeah, so what, what do you think? I mean, Toronto is for me kind of clearly the stack, uh, that I'm going to want to target and probably most of my builds will incorporate. Um, are there other stacks that you're looking at, uh, I'm particularly interested in? Well, I think, I think tonight is a night where you have sort of medium field tournaments. Um, so you don't. You don't really need to get the perfect stack. Um, you can, um, I think, just choose among the stacks that that have uh, good spots and have some pop. So, I think uh, the Mets, although they're not amazing from a multiplier basis, are a good way to go. Um, I think. Um, I think having 
some Colorado bats in a stack with with Marquez is a good way to go. Um, I think Chicago bats are a good way to go. Um, I think I think having some assorted stacks among the teams that are somewhat likely to get there, which are basically San Diego and and the Dodgers every night. Those are stacks that might get there. Um, Toronto we view as the best stack. Colorado is a stack um, that could get there, and then um, the Mets and and the Cubs. Those those would essentially round out my favorites. Got it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, yeah, great. I mean, uh, I think this is a good kind of dive into PGA for the week and MLB. And um, yeah, I encourage you guys to check out some of those contests on Superdraft. Um, they've got, I think, nice, nicely sized contests, you know, the, these kind of medium to, to large, um, you know, contest pools where I think you have, uh, you know, I think good, good kind of win probability, like the, these huge, these huge tournaments uh, that other sites run, you really have to play a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of days to realize kind of your expectation. I think Superdraft with, with that, um, you know, medium size, uh, maybe has a little quicker kind of realization uh, turnaround for, for, for uh, some of their tournaments. All right. Well, good stuff. We'll be on uh, later this week with a couple pods and we'll be back next week. Um, most importantly, great luck in the Masters. This is going to be a fun weekend. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. Same, same to you. Same to our listeners. Uh, chat with you guys later. Thank <laughs> you.